Good morning. <laughs> um, when I was thinking about this program for this morning, I had no idea about how the election was going to go. Uh, so processing what has happened this last week, I, th I think there are a lot of things that we could think of looking for guideposts, looking for spiritual guides uh, to uh, help us move forward. And so I have collected a lot of those things, and I will display some of them in the fellowship hall after the forum. And I will uh, talk to some of them. And uh, so initially what I want to talk about comes from a program that I had found from uh, a on-being program, which is a program that I hear on the radio, but I also get uh, emails about, and so I have this transcript um, that is for... Krista Tippett talking with Natasha Trithui, uh, who is a writer and poet, and Ibu Patel, who is a Muslim, who uh, has a program that involves college-age students to develop uh, a community when people have different faiths different attitudes, uh, how they can develop companionships. Um, and so this was something that uh, happened in uh, Washington University in St. Louis uh, when the second of the debates between Trump and Clinton took place. Um, so I thought it would be worthwhile to comment or, or, or bring those comments together before getting to the uh, video that uh, was advertised for this morning. Um, and so... So Ibu Patel uh, said that there's a great line by the French writer Marcel Proust that the true journey of discovery is not in finding new landscapes, it's in developing new eyes. And he observed his grandmother, who he called Mama, uh, doing things. Why do you do this? And she's like, I'm a Muslim. That's what we do. It was the Dorothy Day sense of you see the light on the path and you walk the path and you're not especially impressed with yourself. And I still, to this day, understand that as the heart of the religious ethic. Um, 
Dr. Trithui uh, wrote a book called Beyond Natrina, uh, Katrina, I'm sorry, uh, a meditation on the Mississippi Gulf Coast that was published by the University of Georgia Press in 2010. Um, but she says, it wasn't until writing that book that I saw how much of the language that comes to me is the language of religion, the language of religious rights. Though I was raised in the Baptist church, I think of myself as a secular humanist. I discovered that when a word like liturgy comes to me, a word that, of course, connects us to the various ceremonies that would take place in various faiths, that in the original Greek, the word simply meant one's public duty undertaken as a citizen in service to the state. So the idea of in service to the common good comes from something secular, but it is also deeply connected to something that we do in our faith. It seemed to me that the language of poetry and what I'm interested in, like the language of religion, is about justice, empathy, bearing witness. And uh, Krista Tippett uh, talking with Ibu Patel, you and I had a really interesting Dinner. You shared your reaction to the kind of toxic language and sentiment around Muslims that surfaced up in parts of this campaign. What I was struck by is the real compassion that you were bringing to that human pain and fear that expressed themselves as anger. What if somebody were to come... This is Ibu Patel talking now. What if somebody were to come up to me and tap me on the shoulder one day and say... Hey, man, all of your facility and language, your ability to strategically plan, give talks, facilitate meetings, that economy is gone. Sorry. So the problem is to cultivate some sort of empathy for people who were once at the center of the culture and aren't anymore. So many people are part of what, are experienced that, Part of what they are losing is the fact that other people are gaining equal opportunity and equal rights. And so Patel goes on, uh, the large frame question is, what does it mean to nurture a healthy religious diversity, diverse e democracy? Sorry. Uh, democracy is a place where you can make personal convictions public. Diversity is not just the differences you like. Diversity is the differences you don't like. Diversity is disagreements. And he goes on, if you add religion to a diverse democracy and if you understand religion per tillich, as ultimate concerns, you have a society in which people are invited to make their personal convictions on matters of ultimate concern public, 
knowing that their neighbor has a different definition of justice than they do. If everybody in the room that you're in has the same definition of justice that you do, I don't care how many colors or genders or sexual preferences or religions are in that room, it is not a diverse diverse room. Part of the definition of diversity is the recognition there are diverse understandings of justice. So healthy is a society in which people who orient around religion differently can disagree on some fundamental things and work together on other fundamental things. In my mind, the most dangerous trend in our society right now is what Andrew Sullivan calls the scalping trend, which is, if you disagree with me on one fundamental thing, and I'm going to recognize that these things are fundamental, matters of the Middle East, same-sex marriage, abortion, they are fundamental, let's not say that they're marginal at all, But if you disagree with me on that, I will neutralize our entire relationship. And I will take your scalp and hang it on my wall as a trophy to make sure that everybody else who has that opinion knows that I'm coming for them. And Natasha Trithui, the idea that words that I believe in so much, I believe so much in the power of words, that somehow could get twisted or changed or applied in all sorts of troubling ways. The example that I think of as I think about the word justice, it goes back to the word empathy. And hearing a few years ago, many people after listening to the president call on us as citizens to empathize with other people, there were actually people who said they did not want to empathize. It just made me think, well, that's really horrible. Why wouldn't you want to do that? It never occurred to me to think that whatever they think empathizing means is something they wouldn't want to do, just as we might think of the word justice as a different thing. Um, and Krista Tippett had had a conversation with uh, Ruby Sales about the spiritual crisis of white America. People are so afraid and so beaten down and so fearful that we have to create conditions for empathy and compassion to feel safe for each other. But it's not natural and intuitive. Uh, Ibu Patel says, William Raspberry, who writes a column, he was in the Washington Post, the smartest people I know secretly believe both sides of the issue. And you should disregard the definition of smart as one who thought like me. (laughs) Um, So justice and Empathy, they're in the Venn diagram, but the more empathy one has, the more diversity one is in, 
the more one recognizes different definitions of justice. In my mind, you don't have a diverse democracy. You don't have America unless people are willing to say, I am able to disagree with you on this set of things, and you will see me on the other side of the picket line on those things, and I will try to defeat your candidate in the polls, and we'll find other things to do together. And uh, Krista Tippett was reading something that Natasha Trithui had written. Poetry allows us to reckon with our troubled past and to imagine the better, more just society that we must continue each day to build. It evokes us, in us the better angels of our nature, eliciting our most humane impulses to engage the humanity of others through the projection of our own emotional knowledge, our empathetic understanding, the best knowledge we have for dealing with each other. And deal with each other we must. I have faith in poetry's ability to help us do so, to wield its ennobling influence on us and to save us, perhaps not as a nation, but one life at a time. Trithuri said the last two words of what you just read that you didn't read, the last two words were like mine. (laughs) I remember listening to a minister at a funeral saying, do not grieve as others grieve. The message was about the solace that awaited us in heaven in the afterlife. And I was deeply grieving. I was grieving because I wasn't a believer, believer, and there was nothing for me because of that. I am a believer in something else, in the human capacity for justice, the human capacity to do right, the human capacity to address and correct the wrongs of the past. It's a way that we listen to each other when it is hard to listen to each other. It's hard to want to listen to diversity if diversity isn't the good stuff. It's the stuff that makes us different, but I think also it helps us to contend with what has been right and what has been wrong. Go back to this idea of justice. There were people that believed that lynching was justice. Uh, Trithuri said, well, that's extra legal, that's outside the law, that's not justice. So do we say the lynchers just had a different idea of justice? Or do we say the lynchers were wrong? And Krista Tippett says, how do we come into relationship with the lynchers? Or maybe not the lynchers, but the people right around them who haven't quite made that move to violence. And so is the idea that you can have both. You can have compassion, empathy for uh, some folks, and you can want them jailed in other ways. Okay, now it's time to go to the video. How much more time are we allowed? 
Five minutes. Okay. There are some things that I will talk with you about in the fellowship hall. <laughs> One of them being what I experienced when I went to the inaugural of Obama in 2009 and meeting uh, Vincent Harding, who, who wrote uh, Martin Luther King's uh, Beyond Vietnam speech. Um, that was at the All Souls Church Unitarian in D.C., where Robert Hardy, a graduate of Star King, uh, became the senior minister. Oh, there are a lot of things that I have accumulated here that I will put on a table that you can walk around and, and look at. Um, so, uh, reactions to the video you just saw and anything you've heard, and there's somebody that's got a hand up back there. <laughs> um, this, this reminds me of something we did years ago in a Methodist church called Stephen Ministry. And um, essentially it was a listening ministry, non-interventional in terms of fixing things. And in order to become a Stephen minister, you had to do 52 hours of training. Um, and I switched, being me, I switched a lot of the curriculum around so it was interactive. But the thing is, 52 hours was still very, uh, just the minimum that it took. It's not easy. Deliberate listening is not easy. Um, but yet, once they were trained and once they, what happens is the Stephen minister gets a care receiver and they listen. And it took doing that for them to discover that deliberate listening does change people. And, um, but like I said, it's not easy, and it's very easy to get away from. I don't do it half, 99% of the time. Thank you. Anyone else? I'm more of a lurker on Facebook. I don't paste very much. I don't converse on Facebook. But I have noticed a trend among a lot of people in the last week to try to have conversations as best they can in that medium. And clearly the, the main thing that they call for is to be respectful of each other's comments there are a number of people that I really respect who have put themselves out there and said, you can say what you want as long as you say it respectfully. You can disagree. That's what this is for. So people are actually trying to use that medium because that's, it is the way a lot of people communicate now, but they're trying to turn it into more of a thoughtful conversation, and I really, really appreciate and respect the people who are willing to open their pages to that kind of dialogue. Thank you. Uh, just to comment on that, 
I have found things on the Facebook pages that have been just phenomenal, have gone viral with how uh, to move forward after this election. A few years back, um, there was a lot of uh, interest in parent effectiveness and teacher effectiveness. And the whole core of that, of that program was learning how to listen. And instead of you giving your ideas, you listen and see what they give to you. And, and, and it works. <laughs> I think perhaps adding to that might be legislators listening. <laughs> the most common error of good listening is... Oh, me too. <laughs> and then you tell your story. It shuts the, the person down. One minute. <laughs> right, tell me more. And then we'll go to the fellowship hall. <laughs> The question I have is about um, self-sorting, because one of the things about, we don't really do Facebook very much, at least I don't, but I know you can shut things down, you can hide people, plus you, you basically self-select the people you want to talk to. So I wonder how much cross-talk is going on between the ones that are happy and the ones that are not so happy. Searching for narratives. Well, I've got two Girl Scouts here at opposite ends of the political spectrum. And one of them said, does this mean you won't be my friend? And the other one said, yes, I want to be your friend. Tell me why you voted the way you did. And there's a conversation going on. So, again... Social media has that option. Uh, I mean, it is a possibility. So that's just one small instance. Thank you all, and let's adjourn to the fellowship hall. <laughs>